0: Every day, 34 people in their 20s and 30s are diagnosed with cancer.
1: On the 7th of July, 2015, I was one of the 34.
0: On the 28th of August, 2008, I was one of the 34.
1: These are the stories of what happens afterwards.
0: This is Afterthoughts.
1: This episode of Afterthoughts is created in partnership with Life Effects by Teva and supported by Trekstock. Toby. Hello.
0: <laughs> hey, Alice. Thank you for that. I feel bad that I haven't done that for you, but I'm, it doesn't mean I'm going to do that. But how yeah. are you? You're right.
1: I am good, thanks. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. We are here
0: for series three. Series of, three of afterthoughts.
1: One, two, three. Um, like Two days before our one-year anniversary.
0: And the special gift that um, we have been fortunate to be able to record with um, a special guest, which will be yeah. released very soon. But well, it would have been have released already, by the it time It has been we,
1: released. They'll have already had it, so...
0: They'll, they'll be done with their gift. They'll be like, yeah. give us more.
1: Over it, yeah. Yeah. But we're back with the first episode of Series 3, and oh boy, is it a cracker. Before we get into that, the fact that the um, stay-at-home order has been lifted and... um, that means that outdoor sport can resume and the fact that outdoor sport can resume means that outdoor swimming can resume which means that at two o'clock I am going for a swim my first swim for nearly three months and I am really excited about it
0: Yes, we, we can all tell how excited you are about it. No. But, it's, I, but it's very exciting for you. And, and for all those people who are suddenly getting out able to be able to out in a different way. And
1: Oh, my goodness. yes, yeah. like, the moment
0: you're jumping into the water, I'm expecting it's going to be really exciting. Well,
1: I'll be walking in slowly because it's less than 10 degrees. And to mm. jump in would be foolish and could potentially risk uh, heart failure. Okay. Um, so I will be walking in slowly as Please is the safe way to enter water when yes. it's that cold. But yeah, I'm super excited. Um, I I use cold water swimming for my mental health, um, and I have really, really missed it. And um, it just, I don't know. I've really felt, (laughs) I've really felt this winter lockdown, um, and I am just yeah, getting back in the water. The cold water is like a balm. It's like the best way to soothe my soul. So I'm Mm. very, very excited for my swim in a little bit. But yeah. While I will not be diving into the cold water because that would be dangerous, um, this morning um, has been fantastic. It has been fantastic to dive into Charlotte's um, stories of her cancer experience. And um, thank you. Um, and wow. <laughs> What what an incredible way to kick off um, series three of Afterthoughts. It is a bit
0: like I can imagine. I've never done it before. A bit like cold water swim. I think like we we've kind of like you've you you you're heading into it and my like it's like this is a really like the stories just refresh. It's like oh. episode one refresh of Afterthoughts. So powerful. So like so beautifully told, and I just can't. 100%. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, just, I was, I was in such admiration of her determination and her power and just the way she confronts everything. I just, thought, I just felt that she confronts all of the things that she faced and everything she faces head on. And um, I cannot wait for our listeners to hear all of these stories and also um, Charlotte's incredible laugh.
0: So let's dive in. Uh, Alice will be diving in later, but let's us all dive in right now to Charlotte's episode. Hi, Alice. Hi, Toby. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And I'm extremely excited to say that uh, for today's episode, we are inviting Charlotte to the podcast. Uh, Charlotte is uh, a holistic wellness advisor. She's an author, a writer and speaker. Oh, I just said author and writer. That's kind of like both the same. All right? I, I quite like that. The most yeah. recent book being The Hidden Truth. Uh, and she, well, she is a writer as well because she was written for uh, Black Women Rising magazine as a featured writer there as well. Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome, Welcome. to
1: Thoughts. Thank you for both having me and inviting me on. we are so happy to have you here thank you so much for um yeah joining us on afterthoughts
0: so we are delighted because we're diving into series three's quickfire questions which yes. there's a whole new load of uh, excitement i mean i i, I love the quickfire questions because <laughs> they're never quick and really it's just for us to get like the the most Bonkers, crazy responses about uh, people's uh, uh, I, like who who are the humans that we are we are meeting on Afterthoughts.
1: <laughs> yeah, because for us, it's. I mean, this might be a podcast about cancer, but um, Afterthoughts is about the human before it's about the person who's had cancer like that's so important for us and that's why we include these often not that quick fire quick fire questions mm-hmm. so shall we make a start
0: charlotte are you ready for the quick fire questions
1: i am ready <laughs> born
0: ready um, okay i'm up first aren't i let's just double yep, checking. yeah fantastic um charlotte uh, what are your pronouns please she, her.
1: And who do people say that you look like? I'm um,
2: marie one time, which I definitely don't. Ooh. Ooh okay. um, but yeah, probably I look more like my dad. Um, and my brother as well a bit, because when my head was shaved, we was like, we've got the same head. Like, <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah. <laughs> I love that.
0: Charlotte, what film defines your childhood?
2: Oh, gosh. Um, It's not really like a kiddies film, but all I can think of when I go to my childhood is like, you know the Kung Fu movies where, like, the speaking doesn't match what they're actually saying? I used to get forced to watch those all the time by, like, my brother and my dad and... (laughs) yeah it's like literally it made my childhood and now it's kind of like a guilty pleasure
1: so yeah those movies I love that kung fu movies fantastic um Charlotte who would you say your hero is
2: okay so I'm gonna call myself my hero only because everything that I've gone through like yeah I'm literally just gonna call myself my own hero because yes, it was Love pretty it. heroic the journey. So,
0: yeah,
2: mm. um, I'm a sheer
0: So, yeah. yeah, Um, and Charlotte, um, nicknames, what was your favorite? Have you had any? Oh, gosh, I've had so many.
2: Um, there was Cece, there was Squeaks because I used to have a squeaky voice, so there was Pumpkin, Peanut, um munchkin i've got so many nicknames um pookie i hate that one i hated that nickname oh my gosh my mom used to call me princess pookie but yeah um <laughs> <Princess Pookie. laughs> but yeah it was i
1: don't even know um if you had to listen to one song for the rest of your life what would you choose chronics
2: I don't know what it's called, but the beginning goes, when I wake up in, oh, let me not sing on the podcast. Wait a minute. (laughs) Easy. I can't remember the name. I think it's something like, I am blessed. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Amazing.
0: Roller coasters. Love them or hate them? Love them. Oh,
1: great. And um, this is a big question. This is, this is a really big question what is your favourite way to eat a potato oh gosh <laughs>
2: um, probably I would say I would chop it up and this would be a sweet potato because I prefer sweet potatoes mm. so I would chop it up I'll put it on a tray I'll put some salt on it some black pepper some herbs and I'll just yeah put it in the oven and just make some sweet potato chips man homemade
1: oh now I really want sweet potato chips (laughs) Mm, yes
0: Uh, and Charlotte last question what uh, was your diagnosis please
1: Um,
2: stage 3 lymphoblastic lymphoma or also known as non-Hodgkin's lymphoma (laughs)
1: Thank you. First up, we are going to talk about Beyond a Diagnosis. Um, we tell the stories of our diagnosis so many times, and often this story becomes really rehearsed and we can roll it out like it's a performance. Um, and we really want to explore the stories of Beyond that. We want to hear more about what happens after that moment. So, Charlotte, we're going to hand over to you now to tell us a story about Beyond a Diagnosis.
2: Okay, great. Um, I literally see everything I talk about in my head like a movie when I go back to thinking of what went on after my diagnosis. And I remember my mum joined me to college. Um, I was studying music technology. And so, first of all, when I was in the car leaving the hospital, I remember me and my mum, we'd gone into a room and we'd just finished up basically crying. And I didn't even know why I was crying, but my mom was crying and it made me cry. And we got in the car and she was driving me to the college and she wasn't really saying much. But I was, I think, I don't, I don't want to say I was being naive, but I'd just been diagnosed. But I wasn't in a sad mood. I was, I was in like a very upbeat mood. I remember... I Rosie had a friend when I was at school who was diagnosed and she got to make a wish. And that was actually one of the first things that was in my head when I was in that car and I was like, oh my gosh, I can meet Missy Elliott and maybe she'll help with my producing the music or, oh my gosh, I can go on the Oprah show. Like It was like, do you realise you've kind of just been diagnosed with cancer because of the things you're thinking of? I'm sure it's not normal. And then... My mom didn't really say much, it was quiet and I got to the college and I walked in and it, that day it seemed really quiet. I don't remember seeing none of the people that I knew. It was like this long walk down the corridor into one of the music classrooms where I had loads of keyboards and my teacher, I remember here like He reminds me of, like, a younger version of, like, Keanu Reeves. Like, that was the kind of look that he had. And um, as, like, I was there telling him what was going on, his face was definitely just in complete disbelief. Um, And I think I could almost feel, like, his... I could feel his feelings in my body, and it didn't really... I didn't really know how to react to that. So to be honest, I just wanted to get out there as soon as possible so I could get on with my day because, like I said, I was in a happy mood and that kind of made me, like, bring down the tone a little bit. So it was a brief meeting, a brief chat, and then I was back to the car to see my friend. And I told her about it. And then I called my cousin to tell her that I had it. And she started crying and then I started crying. And then it was like, ah, oh, this is going to be so emotionally exhausting to tell everyone. So I wrote a text and just texted everyone, oh, by the way, like I've got cancer. And to this day, my friends are like, how could you send me a text that you've got cancer? But, um, yeah, then me and my friend went shopping. And I remember we went to her grandma's house. And she told her grandma that I can sign and she made me like this really lovely soup. She gave me like a massive bowl of soup, it was like, which was the red pea soup. Like, and so it was a bonus. I was like, oh my gosh. And because of my grandparents live in Jamaica, so that's who usually make that soup for me. It was like, ah, oh, I've got like an extension of my grandparent hair and cooking me the same soup. Like, it was amazing. I loved it.
0: So next up on Afterthoughts, we are focusing on the invisible impacts. So there are so many things that you might see uh, that somebody who is experiencing cancer is going through, but there are so many things that are underneath the surface and might not be as noticeable. So that's why we have the invisible impacts. And it's over to you, Charlotte, to tell your story for this section.
2: Okay. so invisible impacts for me is definitely going to be based around kind of the things I experienced from my treatment and when I first was in the hospital um you know the first few weeks it was bliss. it was near Christmas I had loads of visitors um I remember I had like Christmas dinner in hospital my mum like made the food brought it in my family was there it was amazing and I remember it was coming up to New Year's Eve when I was Meant to be going, like, raving in London and the hospital was in Houston. And I even asked the nurse, oh, do you think that I could go out raving? And then just come back. And they that like, no, I don't think that would be a good idea. And I was like, okay, like, <laughs> okay. And then they was like, but you're going to be starting treatment on New Year's Eve. So I thought, like, well, okay. Um, and it got to that point, I remember watching the fireworks from the window of the hospital. And... I remember my mom and dad was there with me, and I remember I beat my dad like at seven games of solitaire. I'm sure he let me win because he's an absolute pro at that game, so he definitely let me win because he must have like me being bad for me. But um, then the treatment began, and I think that's when things kind of started to hit home. So I was on a high dose of steroids, and I got a well, steroid induced psychosis, which is where it was like someone else was living in my head. Um, I lay and named her Sharona, and it was like we it was like we were fighting for who was in control. And she was really miserable, really angry, really sad. You know, like she was like all of my negative emotions, and then I was a happy emotion but she was mainly who was in control and it it was really scary because I don't know if anyone's seen the movie Get Out, but it was like that. I was in like the sunken place and Sharona was in control of everything. And it took ages before like the doctors would listen and change my steroid dose to kind of make it so that I wasn't having these psychosis episodes. And they finally kind of like died down a bit. And I was like, okay, now I can kind of get on with the treatment and focus. And just two weeks before my 18th birthday, I had a chemotherapy drug that runs with my system for 24 hours. And I remember I'd gone out to pick like my outfit for my birthday. And I come back and I had a nap. And then I woke up and my arm was dead and I just thought I'd slept on it bad. And I was like, "Mom, look at this. And we were both laughing and like, oh my gosh. And then we're hanging them in here. Why is it not waking up? So I got up to walk to the bathroom and I was all walking staggered like I was drunk or something. And my mom was like, something's not right here. You need to go to the hospital. So as we went to the hospital, I think within three to four hours, my whole body shut down. I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. I couldn't swallow. All I could do was blink. And at that point, I was just, I think I was, I wasn't scared, but I was like, what's happening to me? Like, this isn't a part of cancer. In my head, I was thinking, I was thinking, I thought you were just meant to lose your hair and feel sick. I didn't think you meant to get all of these kind of crazy side effects. So the doctors they actually, um, they were worried. They didn't know whether the cancer had spread to my brain or whether it was the chemotherapy that I'd had. And when they did the MRI, which was Really scary because being in MRI is not great anyway. But when they cage down your whole body and you really can't move, it's like you just have this crazy anxiety. And they did the MRI and they found out it was a chemotherapy that caused this side effect. And they didn't know if I was going to walk again or talk again. Um, and it was just from me doing a lot of, like, physiotherapy hard work, having to kind of change my mindset and stuff, but allowed me to get in a more mobile state. And again, I had another um, time where it happened to me again because of the chemo and the infection. It caused my body to shut down again, and it took away my balance and my coordination. So because of this... um it was really hard for me because I become very sensitive to the chemotherapy and it just kind of just kept having a negative effect on my body. And I don't say this is extremely rare because it was like a one in, I don't know how many million chance were happening, but it happened to me. And for me, that was like the biggest invisible impact because dealing with cancer was one thing, but then dealing with the whole mobility thing and being left with, a long-term disability, that was a whole other thing. And it kind of meant that I definitely couldn't go back to the life I had before in any way, shape or form. So I think there's two massive moments where it was like a relief. One was where I had been on a food tube for weeks because I couldn't speak or swallow properly. And when they finally said to me, oh, um, you're going to be allowed to, like, come up with a food tube and we can try some stuff. And I was like, yay. <laughs> and then they are like, but you got to start off with, like, yogurt. And I hated yogurt. But when they gave me the yogurt and the first spoonful, it tasted like the best thing I'd ever had in my whole life. Because, like, after not having food for so long and, like, It's like when you're on that food tube, you always feel full. Like after that's finally gone, and I could actually taste something in my mouth, feel like, oh my gosh, this is like the best thing in the world. And I still hate yoga. But at that moment, I loved the yoga. Like it was great. Then I think for my walking, it means so many weeks away, they were moving my body around and. It was like, OK, we're going to try and stand up. And they moved me to the edge of the bed and that was helping me like sit on the bed. And I was trying for like a good half an hour and I was like, it's all right. We'll try it tomorrow. And I was like, no, I'm going to stand today. And then I gave it like one last final try and I pushed myself up. And I just said like, ah, uh-huh. up like after like so long of having to be laying on my back and not moving I was like I'm actually standing like they said I wouldn't be able to do these things and I'm doing it like it was like a match of like okay this is like the first hurdle that we'll go over there's going to be loads more of these to come like yeah it was an amazing moment I loved it
1: Next, we're going to talk about those around us because we know that while a cancer diagnosis happens to the patient, obviously, um, it also happens to the people around us as well. Um, This section explores um, how those people are impacted and um, we're going to hand over to Charlotte now to explore some of her stories of those around us. Was that all right, Toby? (laughs) Over to you, Charlotte.
2: Okay, great. So for me, before I was even diagnosed, um, I didn't even realise, but me and my family, it was almost like we were kind of like living our all our own separate lives. I've got, um, I lived with my mom, my dad, and I've got an older brother and older sister, so I'm the youngest. And everyone was kind of just doing their own thing. Like I said, I was at college, you know, just getting along with life. And when the cancer happened, it really just made us all so much closer because of you start seeing the value in the little things and just the value in spending time together. And I mentioned that Christmas at Oswego. That's actually one of my favorite Christmases that I had because it was just like the simplicity of it, but it was just, it was just so beautiful. And I think one of the main people I would say there was a great improvement in our relationship is definitely me and my mom. Like, we didn't have a bad relationship before, but I would say there was like a lack of communication. And when it got to the point where I couldn't walk or I couldn't talk and, you know, I couldn't do certain things, my mom was like my full time carer. So, you know that I say in, like, um, I think it's once an adult, twice a child. Well, probably going to have to be, like, three times a child because when my body shut down, my mom literally had to do everything for me again. And we grew so close. Um, luckily, her and my dad, they actually run a business and she's like to step the time out to look after me. But when I say she literally... Gave up her life and put her life on hold to help me out. Like the strength of how she coped. Like I never once saw her crying. It's all crying together. Like she was such a, a pillar, you know, such a tower of strength and confidence, and like helping me get out of sticky situations where I fell down. There was one day where we was at home and. She was working from home doing her paperwork, and I was sitting in this seat, and I was just kind of feeling a bit like, I "Can't believe this is uh, my life." Like I was sad, and she was like, "Right, get up." She's like, "We're gonna go on a drive." And really intrigued, I didn't really want to get up, but I was like, "Okay," I was like, "Let's go," and I was thinking, "Where's she gonna take me? Like round the block or something?" <laughs> and then we got in the car. And we went, we got on the motorway and um, we just kept driving. And then we ended up in South End and it was, not, it was a nice day. It was sunny. And she's like, right, we're going to get some fish and chips. And like, we couldn't find the fish and chip shop. nowhere. the one that she wanted to go to. So we're just driving around. And then we actually ended up going back to where we live, which is in Essex Home Church at the time. And buying fish and chips on the top of the road, which so we're just gone all the way to that end. we ended up eating the fish and chips on the top of the road. But it was just the thought that she had put into that actually thinking, oh, let me do something to cheer her up. Like I know there's a lot of people who don't have that support, but I did. I really had an amazing support around me. And even with my friends, um, yes, you'll hear a lot of people say. Cancel will definitely show you, you know, who your friends are, and a few of the friends they did drop off, but a lot of them actually got become a lot closer to. I'm still close to now, and it's allowed me to meet some amazing people, and even the women within the Black Women Rising community, who are a great support and they understand, you know, the journey. It's just been kind of like a blessing to be aligned with so many powerful amazing women as well so yeah the people around me i would just say they are one of the reason i was able to get through my journey because of you know when you don't have that strength but you can kind of pull the strength from others they allowed me to lean on them in that way so yeah for me that was an important part of my journey
0: Next on Afterthoughts, we are going to be diving into the Lost Conversation section. So we know that in the cancer community, we are starting to hear lots of different conversations pop up of ways that we are not serving our community or things that the community want us to be looking at a lot more. And this is an opportunity to highlight those things that we need to be having more conversations on. So Charlotte, it is over to you for the Lost Conversation section.
2: Okay. So for me, I think a massive part of my journey that I didn't even realise until years later um, has to be about grief and this is to do with myself and to do with others. So when I was going through cancer, just a few months before I was diagnosed, um, I remember my sister come around one day and she was talking about Oh, and um, my friend, her boyfriend just been diagnosed with leukemia. Like he's in a hospital up London. Like it's um it's he's so young. And I remember the time like I, I heard it, but I didn't really think anything too much I it because I wasn't connected to the person or anything. <laughs> then to be diagnosed a few months later and be in like, the same hospital and actually meet this person and have conversations with this same person who I've been told about months before. And there were so many other people on that ward, like from the age of 13 up to the age of, like, early 20s who I connected to, and there was, like, a good few in particular, and he was one of them. Like, it's almost like there's this unspoken like understanding between all of those people that you know you're all on this journey together all kind of going through it and you just kind of get each other and there was him as well as another young lady she was my age and I always say we used to like reap havoc on the world because we had our own private rooms. And whenever you have your own private room you're not really meant to be leaving it because of your immune system's Like but we were used to going to each other's rooms and the next would always be like, get back to your room and all of this. And we'll be like having jokes and laughing. And um, I almost felt like she was even like a reflection of who I was as well. And we got on so well. And I remember the time when my body had shut down and I was in the hospital and I couldn't move or nothing. And, My mom went and got her and wheeled her into my room and then she was looking at me and she started crying and then my mom started crying and I'm just there smiling and she's like, how can you still be smiling? And what I wanted to say to her is I'm still here, but I couldn't talk or nothing. So all I could do was like smile and be like, 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 it's all good. Like I wanted her to know I wasn't sad. And we just had this great kind of connection. And um, I remember when I had last seen her, she had gone into remission, and we used to like text each other talking about all the things we we're gonna do. Like, call more back, we was gonna go carnival. Like, she's gonna have this flow, It was it was gonna be like a turn up. We were gonna have a party sort of thing. And I remember. A few months had passed and I hadn't heard nothing from her and I texted her and I got a reply saying, who's this? And I was thinking, is she playing games with me? Like, how can you be asking me who's this? And then I was like, it's Charlotte from the hospital. And her mum was like, I'm so sorry, Charlotte, Paris passed away. And my head, my mind was blown because the last time I spoke to her, she was in remission. So for her to just suddenly be gone, like, I didn't know what to do. And then the same guy who I said that I met in the beginning, he went into remission and then he, it came back within, like, two months. And within, I think, four months, he had passed away. And all the other friends, the six people I made friends with, they all passed away. And no one, and I can tell you this, no one ever can ever prepare you for kind of dealing with that kind of grief. In fact, for so long, it was just suppressed, you know, because they didn't know how to deal with losing that many people at that time. And you can't help but think, like, why have why they gone? And why am I still here? Like, so many of them. I even remember I wrote a poem and it was about saying, Did I really die and they're really still there? Like, I I just couldn't get my head around it. And then there's a whole thing of the grief of losing yourself, losing a person who you was, you know, before you got diagnosed. And, like, you go through so much during your cancer journey that you evolve and you're no longer that person and sometimes people can't even understand you because of the way you change through that journey. It's almost like you can't expect me to still be the same person after i just went through such a life-changing experience. So you almost have to grieve losing that part of yourself. And for me, it was a tricky age because I was going from being a teenager into adulthood. So it was like, I was almost grieving my younger self um, to then turn into this mature adult where I was expecting I guess to get on with things, but yet so much had changed. I'd been left as a completely different person. Um, but even my voice had changed from like where I lost my voice. I couldn't even Um, I was on mobile like I was mobile before. And I used to be a dancer, like all of these things. Um, I basically had to grieve and grieve the old version of me. And it's something that I don't know if now people can get um, counselling and stuff over the grief of losing yourself and losing all your friends on the world. But at that time, I didn't. I kind of just had to go through the motions on my own. And it was, that was for me, is a tough thing. And I don't hear a lot of people talking about the people that you lose on the journey because of that can really mess with your mind. So I would definitely tell my younger self to express more. Like, don't be scared to talk about your feelings. Like, don't be worried about making other people feel uncomfortable about your journey. Express it, lay it out, because when you suppress it, it will one day come out, and it may come out like an explosion. So it's better to let it come out as you're feeling it, letting people know, like, it, it's really healing, it's really freeing. Even if it's just you writing about it in a journal, or speaking to someone you love, or speaking to a completely stranger, just find a way to express yourself. It can even be for a form of art, or dance, or music. But find a way to express things, don't suppress them. So that was how I ended up being an author. Like, it wasn't something I enjoyed. But you see, when my voice got taken away, I had to find something with enjoyment in writing because I had to find a way to communicate better. And it was a way where I found it easier to write down my thoughts or write a poem rather than speaking it out and saying how I felt. So, yeah, it was definitely a part of my healing. Because before, yeah, it wasn't something that I did.
1: Brand new for this series of afterthoughts is this section, Not Your Average. So, sort of based off the back of the Teenage Kicks section of the teenage years, we are going to talk about Not Your Average. So, this section is a chance for us to explore the things that we as young adults who have had cancer may have experienced that those who haven't had cancer maybe haven't experienced. So, Charlotte, over to you to tell us a story about Not Your Average.
2: Okay, so I think for me, this is all about how the whole journey kind of changed me. And for me to explain that, I've got to explain what I used to be like. Um, so I was 17. I was very, how can I say, hyper, like... <laughs> So I was very reactive as well. So if something happened, I was ready to like, like the anger will come out of me sort of thing. Um definitely had a lot of suppressed anger there. I was very ungrateful. Um, I think I was quite entitled. So all the things, I, I had a, quite a good upbringing, but I feel like I almost, it was like I felt like, this is these things are owed to me. these things should be me. Like this is how it's meant to kind of be. Um, and when I my body shut down and it started coming back, I realized how ungrateful I've been for little things in my life. So even to do with my walking and running, like you just become so grateful that oh my gosh, I can take a step. Oh my gosh, I can feel my hand, I can feel my feet. Oh my gosh, like my hair, it's growing back. Like you become grateful for all the little things. Whereas before as a younger person, I definitely was not like I took life for granted. You know, um, I remember like I used to love going like pie in underage. I would use my ID and stuff. And when I was there in those moments it's almost like I didn't appreciate them but even though I am matured after my experience I have to look back and say I'm grateful I did those things because I still actually got to live those things that I wouldn't have usually got to do until you're 18 to go raving in the London clubs but because I had the ID, I was able to do those things like I was able to look back and appreciate I was able to live life in that way back then. But at the same time, um, parents have definitely matured me. And even sometimes find it hard to be in certain conversations with certain friendship groups of how they look to life, you know, when people are complaining about certain things, like everyday things in life. And I know we are like, I still may do it now. But at that particular time, it was like, no, like, we're alive. Like, we should be grateful. Like, oh my gosh, like, the sun's shining. You know, like, normally annoying people find a a silver line to everything. That's me. Like, I was like, no, like, someone will come and tell me something. Like, no, like, we've got really good weather today, though. Oh, Oh, but you did this, though. So, like, I found a way to find, like, a positive in every situation. And I noticed that even though I have mobility issues and all of that, I'm so much more happier now because I'm able to see the good things in my life. Was before, it was almost like I was just picking out all the bad points or the things that weren't making me happy. Whereas now, my main focus is on the good things and what can make me happy. So, you know, the whole experience, it definitely helped me kind of learn what to appreciate in life and appreciate myself more, appreciate my body more, appreciate my health more, um, like all the time, not just when I'm ill. You know, some people, they don't appreciate the help when they get cold and it's like, ah, oh, I really wish, like, I could feel better. Uh, but I'm trying to be in gratitude for my health in every moment rather than just when I feel ill. So, it's just that awareness of um of the body awareness of the mind awareness of the spirit. I've like had this new kind of awakening to, I guess. And I like being crazy. I like being weird. I like being unique, because it makes me just comfortable in who I am, and I don't have to try and live up to be like anyone else. So there's no pressure. That's why I'm my own hero. So yeah.
0: so the last section of afterthoughts is always for us to give an opportunity for us to talk about some of the lighter moments that might uh, happen during an experience of cancer because we do know that those happen and it's really important for us to share those as much as it is important for us to share some of those other moments so the last section is don't laugh we're going to pass over to charlotte charlotte i'm imagining you've got a story for us uh, what's yeah. your don't laugh story
2: Okay, so this was like shortly after my body had shut down. I remember it was in April. I remember the same day that the marathon was going to be running because it was a Sunday. And my mom and dad were there in the room. And I've got my nose pierced. And and my mom went to hug me, and my nose piercing, like it's a stud, it got caught on her jumper and it like, it got pulled out onto her top. And obviously, I can't speak because so I can't say my nose piercing's <laughs> on your top. It was so frustrating, right? I, was, I couldn't do it. All I could do was go, uh, so I was like, uh, uh, uh. my dad was like, what do you want to do? Go to toilet? I was like, no, like, uh. he was like, you're hungry? I was like, oh, uh. like I was trying to point with my eyes. You know how hard it is to try and point with your eyeballs and be like, my nose stud, it's on her top. Like, finally, she realised um, it was caught on her top and they put it back in. But we were laughing for a good, like, a half an hour afterwards because the fact that I couldn't actually just say, no, simply, it's just going, kind on of, oh, my nose stud's caught on your top. And it was a whole thing of, like, ah, ah. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was complete frustration. But it's something that we always laugh about now because it's, like, it was hilarious afterwards. <laughs> oh. A good half an hour just meant to realize that so, yeah, that's my um
1: also as a fellow yeah. as a fellow nose piercer, a pierced, a fellow nose pierced <laughs> person, like number one, I bet that also hurt. Yeah, when it came out. And number two, I can just imagine the frustration (laughs) and also the hilarity (laughs) of your dad, like trying to figure out what was wrong with you, what the issue was, and just it being so far from what your actual issue was i can totally imagine it was, it how how frustrated you must have been as well like mm, i just want my nose to back <laughs> in so that my nose hole doesn't close up
2: oh, oh bless you that's a great story a little like bonus story and then, okay, like, let's like, go for it thing. okay so remember i was telling you about um the psychosis and the whole Sharona thing so you're kind of gonna jump from me being Sharona to like me being Charlotte there was one night in the middle of the night um I woke my mum. it must been like 2 a.m and I started singing and I was convinced that I could sing now and I was like oh my gosh I was like, mom I'm gonna apply for the X Factor like I'm I'm brilliant like this is amazing and she was like um I think you should just sleep on it I was like okay then when I woke up, it was like me again. And I was like, I can't sing again. And I just uh, like, I'm no, sorry, you can't. And I was just like, oh, gosh.
0: What were you yeah. singing? What were you singing? Can you remember? I, I don't even remember what it was. But your your I, mum can remember. Oh. She <laughs> is holding that information from you.
1: I really hope it was my Sharona. <laughs> oh Oh, my gosh I love I love Sharona's confidence though like just belief in herself like that's kind of a great thing right yeah
2: she definitely had some crazy confidence
1: oh Sharla it's really been absolutely fantastic to have you on honestly like um I have loved hearing your stories and listening to you unpick your experience has been just yeah an absolute honor and um yeah thank you so much for sharing with us um we really really appreciate it
2: thank you both for having me on the show i really appreciate that
1: oh you you are so welcome <laughs> thank you charlotte
0: so, Alice, there was Charlotte's Charlotte. stories, Charlotte's wow. episode, and, which is kicking us off the Series 3. And what uh, are what a set of stories to kick us off for Series 3?
1: Yeah, I mean, I am just bowled over by Charlotte and her incredible um, stories and just the way she talks with such eloquence and... Um, yeah I just think she is a powerhouse an absolute powerhouse and um well you can tell that she she tells stories and and writes and like she's just yeah yeah and I just think it's fascinating the way creative people pivot um when when they can't do one creative thing creative people have to create and I think it's just really interesting that and when she said about um the fact that she couldn't do the creative things that she usually turned to she turned to this thing that she previously hated and and started becoming a writer I think that's really fascinating
0: so so Alice I'm gonna ask you then what what's Mm. your afterthoughts on this episode
1: you know my afterthought on um This episode of Afterthoughts is about this idea of um, grieving for yourself. And it's something that I've um, talked about and thought about and written about before. And there's an amazing organisation called Life, Death, Whatever, run by um, two fantastic women um, called uh, Anna and Louise. And they have um, a thing on Instagram that where they write that they get people to write five things and I wrote a five things about being diagnosed with cancer in your 20s and one of mine was about um, grieving for yourself even if you've survived and I just think it's such um, an important thing to recognize and I think it's a really important thing for us to know as, as young cancer in inverted commas, survivors, that it is okay to grieve for yourself. And actually, I think it's a really important thing for us to see that we need to grieve for ourselves and grieve for the per- people we could have been and the people that we might have been and the lives that we might have had, while also recognizing and appreciating the wonderful things and the wonderful experiences that we have had. Um, and just sitting with that and saying, actually, that's okay. And I think that's that's really, really important.
0: I think as well, Alice. There's the importance of the the process, right? Yeah, and that it's ongoing. And like, like I'm very, uh, I'm coming up to a 10 year Mm. uh, date since I finished treatment and things, and that yeah, it's still uh, like it's still okay to be going through these things. Right, it's
1: a process.
0: Process, and I just think it's it sounds like that is an acceptance of that, an acceptance Mm. that it's not just going to be a switch.
1: It's that classic thing, isn't it, of, you know, healing isn't linear. Um, Mm. I think that is so important to give yourself permission to understand that. And also, like, you know, I'm so forgiving of other people and I'm so often like, oh, yeah, healing isn't linear for them. But for me, well, well, healing has to be linear for me because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm different i read something recently and it just said what makes you so special that you think you don't deserve compassion and i think that's a really interesting way of looking at it and i think you know it's that's a um a a thing we should remember and a thing we should think about and i think often we're all guilty of not giving ourselves the same um space to grieve that we would allow other people Um, so yeah this is just me saying to anyone who's listening who maybe isn't as kind to themselves as they are to other people um what makes you so special that you don't deserve compassion and what makes you so special that you don't deserve to grieve for yourself in the same way that you would give others permission to grieve for themselves um yeah um so toby (laughs) oh god i'm just yeah yammering on today um toby what is your afterthought on this week's on this episode of after i'm gonna say that again uh so toby what is your afterthought on this episode of afterthoughts
0: it's definitely going to be about appreciation for me Mm. and charlotte's stories about appreciating her health and not just that starting when you are unwell and suddenly oh yeah like and I know like I I think um as somebody who has been unwell like it's definitely something that's like in my mind about oh yes like appreciating the day appreciating Mm -hmm. the moments and things but I think she just reminded me in a really wonderful way about how important it, it is to appreciate these little moments in the best way we can at that point point. and today it's sunny outside and mm. it's a lovely thought that I might be able to go and enjoy that and leave this space and particularly because of where we are in the lockdown roadmap is that I'm able to leave this this uh, flat and get some fresh air and remembering that that was uh, a big thing um, uh, a while back and uh, so yeah I'm really taking that forward and particularly as we look at all of the, the side effects that Charlotte experienced because of her chemotherapy and what the impacts of those things are and how she has come to appreciate her body and appreciate her mind. And I think, um yeah, I'm really excited to take that forward from today. And I hope all of our listeners do. And Alice, I really hope you appreciate that swim you're going on today.
1: Oh my God, Toby, I'm going to appreciate it. <laughs> so
0: much (laughs) and we cannot wait to see that instagram post of you doing that face and it's probably that face (laughs) you're pulling right now that face as you come out with the water with that joy that you will have um so yeah i look forward to seeing that and let's appreciate today and thank let's yeah i'm appreciating charlotte's story so um Thank you so much to Charlotte for joining us. Thank you, uh, listeners, for coming along with us for the start of Series Three. There's so many great storytellers coming up, aren't there, Alice? So
1: many great storytellers. I'm, I am super, super pumped for Series Three. Yeah. Thank
0: you so much, and we will be in your ears again soon. Ta-ra. If today's episode of Afterthoughts has brought up any thoughts or feelings that you'd like to speak to someone about, we really recommend grabbing a couple with a friend or dropping them a message. There are tons of charities out there who can help you if you've been through cancer and need a bit of extra psychological support.
1: Thanks so much to Trekstock for supporting another series of Afterthoughts. Trekstock helps young adults diagnosed with cancer to get moving again after cancer stops them in their tracks, and the work they do is incredible. Find out more at trekstock.com.
0: This episode of Afterthoughts was created in partnership with Life Effects by Teva, an initiative shaped by patients for patients to help those with chronic illness live better days. Find out more and read articles written by those living with and beyond cancer at lifeeffects.teva.